Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. I'm John Bodhorts, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Okay, so it's all over. Democrats now have uh, netted a, a one-seed gain in the 2020 midterm Senate elections and have uh, total control of the Senate, including committees, an extra Democrat on every committee, which now means that there will be a mad rush of nominations for the federal judiciary Um which uh, otherwise could have been uh, blocked uh, in committee by by Republicans. And it's really an amazing achievement that uh, that Donald Trump has pulled off. Um, so uh, let's just go through this a little bit, okay? Um, there were four Senate races this year in states that flipped from Trump to Biden in 2020. Democrats uh, have carried three of those four Senate races. There were five governor's races in those states. Democrats carried four. Uh, the uh, in, in races, as I count them, that could have gone either way in the House, uh, the Trump-endorsed candidates lost seven out of seven of those races. We're talking about Joe Kent and J.R. Mazuski and uh, uh, a couple of others. Um, it, it 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 is as thoroughgoing a repudiation of an individual politician's effort to have an effect on uh, electoral results as I think we may ever have seen, and I don't know how you dispute that, even if you're, you know, Trumpy von Trumpenstein. Like, how do you how do you how do you deny this irrefutable evidence that Trump? lost Republicans, the Senate, and and it personally was the, responsible for the fact that the wave did not uh, happen. By way of illustration, via our friend Josh Kraschauer at Axios, Walker's loss, I'm reading from his piece today, Walker's loss caps a historic GOP embarrassment in 2010. 2022 was the first midterm election since 1934 when the party in power successfully defended every single incumbent Senate seat. Um, this year matches 34 and 1998 and 2002 as the years where the incumbent party, the party in power, beat the midterm curse. And with the exception of the rally around the flag effect in 2002, all those races, 22, 98, 34, are all the incumbent party just being utterly unpalatable. There's no other narrative around it. There's no other excuse that you can you can make. I saw Laura Ingram on Fox News trying to pin this on Senate leadership. Um, you know, just because we're doing the same thing over and over again, so we should probably do something different, which is true and good. But also, this comforting narrative that Senate Republicans just never warmed to Herschel Walker and didn't support his candidacy. Um, Mitch McConnell's Senate leadership fund sunk eighteen million dollars into this race, likely knowing that it was good money after bad. Okay, let's. So let's why go only right. uh, the only way I can justify that is just a good faith effort to stave off this very narrative. Okay, look, that race last night, three and a half million people voted in the runoff. Okay, in the runoff in twenty twenty, two million people voted. So let's just make this clear that in twenty twenty. You had this massive. You had this massive turnaround. Three and a half million people. Three point nine million people voted in November. So this was basically ninety percent of the turnout of the November election in this runoff. And Raphael Warnock, who uh, led after the runoff, forty nine and a half to forty eight and a half, has won by almost. Uh, is it th three points? So not only did Warnock win, he won more decisively. He could have won 50.1 to 49.9. That did not happen, which does indicate 
among other things, that the two percentage points that went to the Libertarian candidate in 2022, in November, seemed to pretty much migrated to Warnock. I mean, that is the overall effect, if you look at the numbers, which is there was 2% that voted for neither Warnock nor Walker, and 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 uh, Warnock improved his showing by by two points. Which means, by the way, you should also be very skeptical when you hear all this community activist nonsense about how they were just great. They went out and they rang doorbells and they did a lot of doorbell ringing and there was doorbell ringing because that's what you do. And we were out there and ringing doorbells like you don't get two million votes by ringing doorbells. I'm sorry. That's not the way it works. Four hundred million dollars was spent in this run on some astounding amount of money was spent in this runoff the democrats spent 20 to 1 or something like that on on tv and radio advertising but this candidate reaching... was left for dead nrc left him for dead trump and trump packs left him for dead who uh walker the only spending on the republican side in this race really was this the much maligned senate leadership in mcconnell's pack so what what you can so forget the spending also like what you can say about this said this yesterday is uh, Brian Kemp, the Republican candidate for governor, the incumbent Republican who, you know, went up against Trump, certified the election, wouldn't stand for his nonsense in 2021 by eight. So he won by eight. What does that tell you? That tells you, I believe that a, once again, a generic Republican, not Walker, but a generic Republican, boring, pointless, stupid, uninteresting, whatever, Kelly Leffler, a generic Republican would have won this race going away in November and would have won this recall. Walker lost the race. They could have spent $100 billion on Walker and Walker lost the race and Walker was only in the race because Trump anointed him the candidate in 2021. Wouldn't it be fantastic, he said in March of 2021, if the legendary Herschel Walker ran for the United States Senate in Georgia, he would be unstoppable, just like he was when he played for the Georgia Bulldogs and in the NFL. He is also a great person. Run, Herschel, run. Well, he isn't a great person. His own son made it very clear that he's not a great person. His own personal history makes it clear that he's not a great person. He's a stupid person, which is now, you know, without question, now that we've seen him on the campaign trail for six months. And, you know, here we are. Mitch McConnell decided in 2021 that he couldn't face Trump down and have a fight in the state over who was going to be the Republican nominee for Senate in Georgia. So it would be what it would be, and they would try to make do with what they had. And there and in uh where else? Um uh Blake Masters in Arizona and of course Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Trump brought down his, you know, finger from the heavens, touched these guys, and the end result is that there is no Republican majority in the Senate. But at least, I mean, look, thank goodness for small favors. At least he didn't endorse a professional wrestler. That might have been even worse than Herschel Walker. But there is the question is whether there'll be any lessons learned on the Republican side in the way that they were not learned after the last Georgia runoff. Right. When Trump lost the Senate for Republicans before there was some hand wringing, but there was nothing done about it, because as we see with these terrible candidates who Trump anointed, they lost. So I, I actually hope that there is. Um, some more pushback here. People don't people don't like to lose elections. People don't like to be losers. He is a loser and he can only use the argument that by losing it's, you know, useful for his future victories and his claims about election fraud and whatever that that might redound to his personal candidacy's effect. But it does not satisfy people in states like Georgia. Now, I was completely eye-rollingly annoyed by Warnock claiming with the turnout that you just described, John, that there's still active voter suppression going on. So he's going to stick with that narrative. Um, and and this idea that now Georgia's definitively turned blue, I don't think that's true either. I think future elections will continue to be make Republicans very... win every statewide race in Georgia. Exactly. Every exactly. 
But if you see, there's a there's a lot of you know sort of uh, uh, pontificating about how Democrats have finally taken the state. They That's won every true. statewide race, right? They won, right. except there are two except... Democratic senators from Georgia. Right. There are two of them, and they are both there because of Trump. Exactly. Exactly. Ossoff won the six year seat in 2020 because Trump told people not to vote in the runoff, and Warnock won against uh, Kelly Leffler because Trump told him not to w- win right. the runoff. And then Trump said Herschel Walker and Warnock won by three. This is on right. Trump. It is only on Trump. Laura Ingram can say whatever bullshit she wants to say. And the Trumpians can say whatever bullshit they want to say. And if you don't understand by this point that this is bullshit, if you don't get it out of your head that somehow fingers are being tipped on the scales by Venezuelans or by you know, by 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 voting machines of someone who's going to win a billion dollar lawsuit against Fox News for defamation. And you don't get it out of your head that Trump has lost four elections in a row now or five. If you count the two runoffs, that's five elections in a row that he presided over. If you don't get this in your head, that this is the worst electoral record in modern history, that this guy is poison. Okay. I called him in the New York Post. I called him a vote repellent. It's <laughs> he's worse than a vote repellent. He is but, going to destroy one of the two political parties in the United States if the party and its moron base doesn't wake up and say, if you don't want liberalism and socialism to take over the country, you gotta extirpate. You've got to go in. You not only have to excise the cancer, you are gonna have to do chemo and radiation. But here is what we will hear as we get closer to 2024 from these people. Um, yeah, maybe Trump's picks don't have the touch, but the man himself is a different story. It's is, it's Trump. This is that, exactly that can, what I can win. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Abe. I apologize. But this is what I've been thinking about this morning is that all the talk of the last couple of weeks is how. Trump is such a drag on the party. Everybody knows it. He's got all his gaffe machine. He's got an embarrassing campaign. Everybody knows what needs to be done, and the focus has been on how to do it. Nobody's been talking about the what Trump can do to stop that. And he has a lot of options. I mean, we remember in 2016 then rumblings about a third-party bid, which is probably just a threat, but it's a paralyzing one. He can seed narratives that Republicans only lost in 2022 because of insufficient support for him, undermine congressional leadership, sow disunity in the conference, nudge the conference to do really spectacularly stupid things that continue to off put, to put off voters. He can uh, continue to endorse unreasonable candidates and scare reasonable candidates out of primary races. One of the reasons why this Senate cycle was so disappointing in part is because a lot of candidates like Doug Ducey, Chris Sununu, Larry Hogan begged off races that they probably could have won we might have had a republican senator in maryland and Pat Toomey, well that's that's and the thing like Toomey you can't retired and right. lastly um republicans were scared off the 2014 strategy of intervening in primary races to make equi- make sure there were equitable outcomes or everybody got got a seat at the table and ended up maximizing their chances now do they internalize the lessons of 2022 and go right back into that very contentious process not if everybody decides that mitch mcconnell's the problem but There's that's, a lot of that, options for Donald Trump to keep this in his. Yeah. In his well, and um, he he knows the key thing, which is the Republican Party, as it is currently formulated, they can't win with the the Trumpies and they can't win. They can't win without them and they can't win with them. Right. Because the base for primaries turns out they need those people to turn out in the primaries. Otherwise, they can't win the primary. But then in the general election, they can't win with those people. It really it's they all know it. But but that the actual uh, primary process needs needs to be the focus right now for those moderates in the party who want to see some sort of change and, and to get rid of the poison, as you say, John. Can I play a cheap history game here for a second? Let's go back 100 and uh, 110 years. Teddy Roosevelt, president, retires for William Howard Taft, decides he doesn't like William Howard Taft, can't bear being out of the spotlight, runs as a third-party candidate in 1912, and hands the election to Woodrow Wilson. Who is the great demon on the right over the last 20 years? Who is the president who, according to many people, Jonah Goldberg and others, centerpiece of Jonah's book, Liberal Fascism, 
and others, the the president of the progressive era that took Roosevelt's progressivism and enshrined it and, you know, forced it down the throats of America. He what he became president because of a split in the Republican Party led by a personality driven lunatic who couldn't bear to be out of the spotlight. So you want a lesson from history? You don't want Teddy Rose. You don't want Woodrow Wilson of 2024 to be president. Don't make Trump into Teddy Roosevelt. I think you need a Eugene Debs in there somewhere, too. <laughs> well, I mean, we got plenty who, of those in the Democratic yeah. Party right now. <laughs> but I Several mean, volunteers. I'm just saying like like history rhymes sometimes. And this these are rhymes like uh, a a we have an example. We have an example of uh, Grover Cleveland running and becoming president after missing a term. Right. We also have an example of a, a uh of the enshrinement of a set of policy principles that uh, changed the Democratic Party forever in the person of Woodrow Wilson because of the vanity and fecklessness of the non-Democratic Party, which had been the dominating party in the United States for you know, 20, 20 years because the Democrats seemed so economically foolish and reckless and but we're yet, long we are long overdue for revolutions within both parties right this is a pretty long stretch in american political history where the two parties have kind of chugged along without any real sort of churn in the way that we've had in previous centuries so maybe we're at that moment where one of the parties will permanently fracture and something new will come out of it i mean this is not unheard of it's not you know that's that happens that's that's what happened has happened many times over the course of this country's history not that many times i, I mean know, there but really haven't that... been yeah i mean it could be you know every everything doesn't go on forever that's what the principle of entropy shows like the entropy is a degrading process things go on and then the and then the system degrades you could say that trump is a signature element of that degradation and that biden is a signature element of that degradation that we've ended up with these you know septuagenarian octogenarian lunatics and senile people who are running the country because no because the because the political system can't spit out anybody better to prevail um or you know, or at least to to appeal. But I mean, I think the Republican Party you have to you have to bifurcate it into two. And I don't know how this is going to work. But again, using history as a guide, there was a Republican primary electorate that got very very Trumpy, right? So it uh, it ousted uh, Jamie Herrera Butler, who voted for impeachment in favor of. Joe Kent, essentially, who then lost to a Democrat, uh, Jeremy Majewski, the same in Ohio, uh, you know, various people, Carolina, whatever her name was, and Caroline, whatever, with the K in New Hampshire, I can't remember. And what happens is you have primaries are very low turnout. They are not elections. This is a mistake that people make. These are this is not the anointing of the people. Right. You're talking about 25 percent or something like that of the overall electorate of a party that turns out to vote in these things. So they are picking Trump candidates and forcing the rest of the Republican Party that does not vote in the primaries, essentially, to stomach it and go along. And then it turned out they just couldn't stomach it. Couldn't stomach it. Right. I mean, you have you have uh, you have Oz losing. In a place that, you know, Toomey would have won if he'd run uh, for re-election in Pennsylvania, uh, they can't stomach it. And here, and, and the question is, can this primary, can this primary activist base that is now in Trump's and will probably presumably remain in Trump's thrall to some degree, can it be moved aside in some fashion or supplanted, or can it have a change of heart? Because it is, is picking unelectable people and it will pick and Trump is unelect. Let us, let us make this clear. We just saw a stroke victim beat a Republican in Pennsylvania. If you think that a senile 82 year old can't beat Trump when, when Fetterman beat Oz, you have got another thing coming. Trump got 74 million votes in 2020 and that's as many as he will ever get. 
and the person who beat him got 81 million. And that's the least he would get if he were running against Trump. There's no reason to think that Biden's number will degrade. That's what we learned from the midterms, by the way. Okay. No, I think that's an interesting point is that the bar for the non-MAGA or for the anti-Trump has been so lowered now um, that there's there's no more hope that that the that Trump or a Trump anointed person can can defeat someone else just because it's unthinkable that the other person would win. There's no more unthinkable. Well, and it's such a trap that 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 was so it was very successful for Trump himself, the candidate. So to Abe's earlier point, yes, that he can he will. And I assume will continue to claim that, you know, he himself can win, even if others who he is anointed cannot. But that, the, you know, he generates this trap for Republicans who try to thread the needle with him as candidates, because if they if they come out against his, you know, his uh, affiliations with extreme right statements if they come out against his anti you know sitting down with anti-semites if they come out against the january 6th stuff if they come out against any of that the re- trump always has the same response and it's unfortunately very effective with this hardcore base he says look they buckled under the pressure of liberals they did exactly what they you know they're totally caving they're weak they're doing you know they're only saying this because they are weak and i am strong and i'm not going to apologize i don't so that worked for him and i i guess it continues to work with that 20 25 percent of the hardcore mega base republican but it's that's the stuff that's toxic to moderate Republicans, to independent voters and the candidates who don't just just you can't ignore it. You have to actually say now, no, I support the Constitution. And no, I don't think people should use political violence as a tool to try to reinstate a president who lost an election. But they can't. They don't because they know what's coming from. The I'm campaign. not clever enough to do it, but you would think that there might be some clever way to manipulate the rights addiction to this idea that the only reason why the party loses is because of wreckers, saboteurs, and deviationists from within. We're confronted with that very narrative in a very real way. They are surrounded by wreckers, deviationists, and uh, and uh, opportunists within their, their ranks that are sabotaging them. It's just the people who are accusing everybody else of being wreckers and sabotage or, or saboteurs. There's got to be a way to harness that narrative and turn it around on the people who actually deserve it. I don't know how that would happen if there is any microphone available to anybody trying to make that case there doesn't seem to be any courage or appetite to make that case but i mean it's it's not wrong it's something that they've become addicted to it's it's so native to republican discourse at this point that it's in the dna they wouldn't really argue with the premise just the people that it's being directed at there might be a way to turn that around on them i mean well the only go ahead abe sorry the people it's being directed at constitute the premise. Um, if you if you direct it at at uh, the establishment, that is that speaks for to a whole set of ideas. If you if you direct it at the the MAGA, you're on a different team. I mean that's that's the problem. Well, the question that is before us is: Do parties commit suicide now? Parties don't really commit suicide. They're, as we keep saying, they're vehicles for winning elections, and ultimately that will out. But the Democratic Party didn't exactly commit suicide. If you if you take Watergate out of the mix in 1972, 73, 74, you take Watergate out of the mix. The Republican Party had pretty much dominating control of the ideological agenda in some sense and of the national electoral agenda from 1968 until 1992. Just take Watergate out because it was anomalous. You have a Democrat elected president in 1976 who ran as a right winger. has to be remembered that Jimmy Carter ran as a social conservative who hated Washington and would never lie to you. He ran as a, he ran as a crypto Republican or what also would become the Republicans, because he used the mantle, essentially, of the of the burgeoning McGovernite. Who was anti-McGovernite, and he was a he was a burgeoning moral majoritarian. But then he came into office, and it turned out that he was a liberal Democrat, and with the exception of a couple of things like airline deregulation and trucking deregulation. And aside from that, he was he he 
betrayed the things that he said he was going to run against. And he, you know, got his hat handed to him. You know, guy lost by 10 points to Reagan. Reagan won by 19 points over, over, uh, over Walter Mondale and Bush won by seven points over Michael Dukakis after Nixon had won 20 points over, uh, or 22 points or something over McGovern. So what does this tell you? What it tells you is that parties can go into the wilderness. The only thing that was holding back the demo, the only thing that was keeping Democrats in place was entropy. That is to say, Democrat Party was twice as the size of the Republican Party, and uh, the structure of congressional elections and gerrymandering and all of that kept most seats in the hands of Democrats in the House. But in, but you know, when when the change came. And that was 1980. Reagan wins and Republicans win 12 Senate seats because the Democratic Party had become the party of crime. It had become the party of isolationism. It had become the party of, you know, sort of like ruinous um, environmental regulation. It had become the party of everything that ordinary people and social liberalism. When the Democratic Party's own internal Strength came from merging liberals with conservatives like Catholics, urban Catholics and Southern racists and I, all sorts of people. Um, and then they basically just adopted a, 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 a liberal agenda, the Equal Rights Amendment and various other things. And that was not where the that was not where their own party was. So they sort of held place in the House, lost the Senate, lost the presidency. This is the future of the Republican Party, if it does not change course. I mean, we're seeing it right now. It happened fifty years ago. That was a long time ago, so people don't see it. We have Teddy Roosevelt one hundred and ten years ago. We have the Democratic Party's history after Vietnam and with the crime surge and with all kinds of stuff and and burgeoning social liberalism. We have it all right before us. And the MAGA people don't know and don't care. But will the Republican Party commit suicide? Or I don't know, maybe so you don't commit suicide because that means you're dead forever. So what would it mean? Will it go into this period of eternal or, you know, and not eternal again, like sustained minority status because its politicians and its ideas are noxious to most people. Why don't we take a break and hear from our friends at the Acton Institute? There's news and information constantly coming at us from all sides. With this barrage of information, it's difficult to stay up to speed with everything that's happening in the world. Whom can you trust to explain what's going on from a perspective that values both faith and freedom? That's where Acton Unwind comes in, just as there's no other organization that brings you a perspective that values faith, liberty, and free enterprise like the Acton Institute. There's no other podcast that tackles the issues of the day in quite the same way as Acton Unwind. Every Monday, you'll hear from host Eric Cohn and experts from the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty as they take you through the news of the week in a roundtable conversation, breaking down the issues and the stories that matter and demonstrating that the compatibility of faith, liberty, and free economic activity in a way that's clear, concise, and entertaining. Whether it's about politics, religion, or culture, you'll get Acton's unique outlook on the world, connecting good intentions with sound economics as we promote a free and virtuous society characterized by individual liberty and sustained by religious principles. To subscribe to Acton Unwind, visit acton.org slash commentary or just search Acton Unwind on your favorite podcast app. Acton Unwind, an ongoing conversation on a free and virtuous society. That's acton.org slash commentary to subscribe to the Acton Unwind podcast. Trump didn't have a good day yesterday because it wasn't just Georgia. Jury in New York found the Trump organization guilty of 17 counts of tax fraud. Uh, he is not personally implicated in this, but, um, and it's, the numbers are pretty piddling given the size of, you know, the American economy and all sorts of things like a couple million dollars in tax fraud that they could prove, I guess, I guess, at least in the case of Alan Weisselberg, I, don't, I can't remember what the specifics are. 
but uh, we do have now a convict Trump, the, an organization named for Trump that has been convicted of, uh, uh, and that you can't erase that. You could say that it was not fair. They dug there. They, you know, they they did what they could. It's fine. Um, does this matter? I think it matters. It matters a little. It's again, it's incremental. But does it does it not matter? Or does well, it? Matter? How does it matter? It matters because it's like again, 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 again. Like he lost in Georgia. He's convicted of tax fraud. He's this. He's that. You know, like little bits of things that chip away at people who might like him fine, but like can't take it anymore or something. Yeah, I think I think it's. I think the pileup matters. I mean, he's he's dying every day out there, and has been now for weeks. Well, he still faces the criminal charges from the from the documents. He still faces what is likely to be a recommendation for further criminal charges from the January 6th committee with regard to uh, the events of that day. So it's not as if this is just actually the smallest of his uh, legal potential legal losses in the sense that, as you said, John, it doesn't implicate him in particular. But remember, he also ran, you know, one thing that was very appealing to the MAGA base when he ran the first time was that he was the savvy businessman who knew how to strike a deal and whose organization made him tons of money and he was living the dream. And when it turns out that it was all built on, you know, a fair amount of fraud and, and questionable tax policy tax tax practices well that there goes that element too although i don't think again for the base that doesn't matter no. he just uses it for the persecution narrative he told us that he did this in 2015 and 2016 right but he said that's what everybody said, does yeah <laughs> i do what everybody does yeah. okay this is a little different because everybody now you could say you could say uh use every man uh for after his dessert and who could escape whipping like if any corporation was subjected to this kind of uh examination maybe everybody would be you know found guilty of tax fraud but, but i don't know that that's right you see that's the problem he'd well, say it that it also goes against his message of talking to the common man because this this kind of stuff is exactly what you would rail against as screwing the little guy like the big guys get away with the kind of stuff that a regular american if if being dodgy about his tax practices would never get away with so it's a weird sort of it's a weird sort of flex he makes like oh i'm a businessman and we all get away with this like that's not actually on message for what he was saying in 2016 when he that said, sort of thing never yeah. stings him like yeah exactly no one, he's never yeah. held accountable i know on, on no that, but on when he said of of you know the billion dollars or whatever he took in tax losses that meant that he didn't have to pay taxes and he said this proves that i'm a genius that was fair in the sense that nobody said that what he did was illegal what he did was part of the tax code, and he his company did what the tax code said was legal, right? This is different, though, because here they got him, jury, 12 jurors, 12, you know, said that he violated the law. Civil case, it's not a criminal case. Or is it a criminal case? I can't even remember. I think it's a criminal case, whatever. They said he violated the law 17 times. I mean, his corporation violated the law. And if you're a small businessman, you do whatever you can. This is, I think, like you're, if, you're, if you run a business and a lot of Republican voters are business owners. I mean, they're like, you know, they're they're small business owners, a classic Republican base. It's right? criminal tax fraud, by the way. It is a criminal, criminal tax yeah. fraud. I'm sorry. Right. OK. So if you. You know, you do whatever you can to minimize your tax liability. But everybody who runs a business knows that when you go to your accountant and say, I want to write off my car, the accountant says, that's a red flag. You can't just take your car and write it off. Everybody in the country has a car. I, I really like to figure out how to get use, defer, not use my salary but then pay for you know my kid's college using the co corporation and the accountant says you know you can try it i suppose but i don't know how you're going to defend it if they look at the if they look at it you've got no defense and you will be in violation of the law i i i am required by law to tell you this and i'm required not to prepare your taxes um, otherwise, I will lose my license as a CPA. I can't prepare your taxes with that kind of tax fraud in place. So this is 
comprehensible to people in a way that the I took a billion dollars in losses and therefore I didn't pay taxes for 19 years isn't exactly. Or you can say, well, there he's in some other realm. And also, I, I, Christine, I see you want to jump in, but I just want to say this. I think the difference here, and this goes for a lot of a number of things going on with him now, is that he's not getting away with things anymore. And that was part of what got people so crazy about him and so uh, worked up um, in support of him that he could sort of do anything. He's not getting away with 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 the tax thing. He's he's not getting away with with uh, uh, picking candidates and then and then coming out and being able to boast that he won. He's not getting away with his his dinners with with unsavory people. Um, he's he's not getting away with his documents at Mar-a-Lago. Every, everything he's sort of he's facing some degree of consequence here every time, and that is totally new. That casts him in an entirely different light. Well, and, I mean, he, and what to that to add to that briefly, um, when he is caught out, as he just was in this tax fraud case, what does he do? He immediately throws under the bus people who have been deeply loyal to him. So Wesselberg, who's worked for him for you know decades, he blamed him. He's like, it's not my problem if this guy was cheating on his taxes. It's a shame they're dragging me into it. And he he always has an excuse and usually blames. He'll blame the candidate that he had previously endorsed. He'll blame his you know his uh, business partner. He he always is casting blame. And that you know his the loyalty thing with him has always been a theme, but. Over time, and again, to speak to your point earlier, Abe, about the cumulative effect here, that too is now being looked at by people and saying, okay, wait a minute, every time he gets caught for something, he's going to throw someone under the bus. Who's going to work for a guy like that? I mean, just honestly, like if he's a candidate, if he's a businessman, nobody wants to work for the guy who you know is going to just leave you hanging out to dry to to make sure he gets off scot-free. There will be plenty of people who will want to work with him just by virtue. Tragically, of the fact that's that they true. Could, yeah, but not. But 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 there's. But, we're underplaying a dynamic. No, here, nobody but. good. I mean, that's no, the of thing. Course like, not. actually, we're good politics... in 2016. It was the it was the C team in 2016. Yeah, but that, this will be the H team. Oh, it'll be horrific. This will be this will be the end. The Z team. team. This will be the, the Q team. Yeah. I there's mean, a dynamic that know, we're giving actually it, we're literally is the here. Q team. Trump didn't get away with Trump University. Um, and he manages to wiggle out of these things. There's a dynamic on the right that allows you a little bit of leash to criticize Trump when the stakes are low. When he makes a crazy tweet, says terminate the Constitution, go nuts. When he's actually facing real world consequences for his actions, there is a profound uh, social dynamic that exerts pressure on people on the right to rally around the flag, to dismiss all this, to say it's all a conspiracy, to insist that every this keeps happening to him. It must be everybody else's problem. OK, that's well, that's except that I don't see it now. That's a te- so first of all, everybody who hates Trump hates tr- every everything just adds to the pile of things that they hate Trump for. So we're, let let's put those put them to one side. Okay, so they're happy that he's he, the Trump organization felt guilty. They're ecstatic that Herschel Walker lost. They're happy about everything, right? Everything that may that corrodes him is is bad. So we're gonna we're gonna just put them to one side. The question is what the effect is on the people who don't hate him. And that's where the question is, is it is it corroding? I'm not talking about the politicians now. Again, I'm saying there are two kinds of Republicans. There are Republican activists who work in, you know, who do spade work and w- w- go out and w- drag themselves over glass to vote in primaries. And then there are the, then there are people who vote in the general election Republican or lean Republican or whatever. Okay. Though that second group, which is vastly larger but le- vastly less influential, how do they respond? That's where Abe's point starts coming in. Do they go, oh, they're just so unfair to him all the time, or do they go, what? Kanye, what? What is he saying? Who's he hanging out with? Or really, the Trump organization was found guilty in a courtroom? Or... I don't know what he kept documents and, you know, now maybe they can be convinced that some of it is not fair, but the cumulative effect is a cumulative effect over time. Like that's, that's where the question is whether um, politicians who are cowardly start feeling safer in saying uh, this guy is a cancer because um, because they know that there are more and more people who have their back. 
I, I just, I, I don't know. I, it's a, it's a test case of the next six months to a year. I do think. I'll tell you what. Let's take, let's take another break and hear from our friends at, at, at Fire. Do you know only one in three Americans believes we can fully exercise our free speech rights? That's why Fire is stepping up to protect freedom of expression for all Americans, no matter where you're from or what you believe. The Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression or FIRE, knows free speech makes free people. FIRE will always be a principled, nonpartisan, nonprofit defender of your rights. Join the fight for free speech at www.thefire.org. We have to ask whether the results last night make it more or less likely for Merrick Garland and his special prosecutor to say all right, we're indicting him. Uh, we can play pros and cons here, right? Like, he's doing himself damage. Let him just do himself damage. Or we, we don't want to indict him because uh, he's, like, great for us politically. Let him twist in the wind. Let him, you know, we're not going to indict him because he, you know, he's, like, he he's getting our people elected and will help us get elected in 2024, if you're being really cynical about this. Or you say, look, his magic, whatever magic he has, is sputtering out. And the the question of whether or not it would be politically dangerous for us to indict him is getting less and less, or dangerous for the, what would you call it, the good working order of the United States. Question of whether there would be political violence in response to his indictment and all of that. The kind of thing you do have to think about, even though, you know, MSNBC lawyers say you shouldn't think about it because you have the law is the law and all of that. I don't know. I think I think life got a lot easier for Merrick Garland. This is this is much less of a Hobson's choice than it was, uh, you know, 24 hours ago. Well, the special prosecutor here shouldn't have to make any political calculations in theory right i mean this is out of garland's hands at this point no no it's not garland has to decide whether or not the indictment goes forward he he is even if the would special we be privy prosecutor... to a recommendation would that huh? even be public would we be would... privy to the recommendation no no case? unless it leaks unless garland says i'm not doing it and then and then this guy angrily leaks it because he's mad that Garland didn't do what he wanted him to do, but it would not be public. By definition, it wouldn't be public. He's convening a grand jury. Like they're, they're collecting, they're gathering evidence in front of a grand jury. And then at some point, the question will be whether or not he'll then go to Garland and say, we can indict him on X. We could indict him on Y, or we don't have the goods one way or the other. Um, but there is a moral, social, and political calculation that Garland has to go through. Is the is the nature of the offense uh, that we would charge him with worth the unintended consequences of the of the indictment that we don't we, that we can't game out? That's what prosecutorial discretion is about. Is it by definition overcharging somebody like Trump to charge him at all unless, A, you have him dead to rights, and B, what he did is so egregious that you have no choice but to indict him? I mean, that's that's what that's what prosecutorial discretion allows. And we've never been in this situation before because Ford pardoned Nixon, so we never faced it. You know, we've never faced it. Anybody got, got a theory here? No. <laughs> Abe's just shaking his head. No one has a theory. No my theory. theory. Okay. My theory is that my theory is that it's a lot easier, which doesn't mean that he which doesn't mean that they'll do it. I mean, we there was a kind of leak from somewhere a couple of weeks ago in the Washington Post that said that prosecutors or the judge has determined that Trump kept the material because he thought it was his. Now, if that's true, that's where you start getting into the question of, mo you know, motive. Yes, did he, should he have known? Yes. Would uh, somebody else have been prosecuted, you, you know, for the same offense? Yes. I mean, that's what the reason you can prosecute him for the uh, holding, for, for taking the classified well, documents and, out. And 
that's where they could get into trouble if they decide to get him on some sort of obstruction charge, right? So rather than if he honestly believed that he was allowed to take these documents and he took them, but then he tried to obstruct the investigation into the doc into the taking of the documents, he could then plausibly say, look, they're just trying to find anything to persecute me. Um, the obstruction is still bad. That's, you know, he's that's still a criminal act if you're obstructing a federal invest criminal investigation. But he could then plausibly argue, um, you know, they're coming after me about anything they possibly can. I didn't mean to take these. I, I said I'd give them back or what, whatever kind of crazy stuff he's going to say. However, However, him saying that the Constitution is a document that can be suspended at the whim of someone who feels aggrieved by outcome of an election, that actually should be brought to bear on judging whether or not this is someone who can plausibly, whose statements about his own power when he was uh, president and immediately afterwards should be taken, um, uh, his, na his professed naivete, let's say, about these documents. Like if he really felt that he was above our Constitution, then you could say he would do anything to make sure that he gets what he wants. And that actually, that narrative is much clearer now after that right. statement. You don't see how an I have to say, hold on. I haven't, I have not taken my victory lap. I told you so on that one. Please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where was it? Go ahead. Yeah, Two days true. ago, I said he was going to yes, walk that back. You did. I said, I said it was very likely that he would walk that back and say the fake news media tried to tell people. <laughs> he that literally said, said that. that. Should, yes. That we should suspend the, the constitution. I never said that. I said that when there's a fraud of this magnitude, the rightful winner, whatever. I don't even want to get into his correction because to me, because it, it's all nonsense. Spot on. Abe is our Abe is our the Yoda of uh, <laughs> Trump yes. predictions. It was spot on. But you don't see how an indictment would arrest the process of drift away from Trump's orbit that we've been seeing. I mean, after the FBI raid, there was talk of universal acclamation, nominating okay. him by acclamation. I mean, and, and, and guess the only what reason happened? why we didn't see, but we didn't see that after the special counsel appointment, in part because it was a special counsel appointment. It took it out of the realm of politics, out of the hands of the Biden administration. An indictment from the from the Biden administration's DOJ just induces the same rally around the flag effect that we saw after the FBI raid. No, I don't think so. I was sympathetic to that argument, but it now starts to strike me as a version of Star Wars thinking, by which I mean when Obi-Wan says to Darth Vader... This is my fault because I introduced Yoda, I'm just saying. Okay. Listeners, this if is my fault, but go with it. If you me down, I will become more po powerful than you can ever imagine. Yeah, that's a great line. It was a great line in Star Wars. That is actually not how the world works. You know, uh, catch somebody in the act of doing something untoward and the idea that you can say i will be more powerful as a result of your doing this than i was before is i'm sorry you know there is no evidence to suggest that that is the case it was the case on twitter it was the case on fox it was the case with with terrified you know uh emasculated politicians who thought they could get in good a little bit uh and 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 spare themselves wrath by side by taking a by taking an easy call right which is like whatever the justice department and the fbi are doing are bad we've just established that for four years so i'm just gonna say that it's bad it you're not benefited when you're you know you Obi-Wan Kenobi died, and then he later on he was, you know, because Obi-Wan was killed he could, yes. by Darth Vader. He was <laughs> killed by Darth Vader, and it didn't make him more powerful. That was ridiculous. How did it make him more powerful? He kept appearing in that glowy ghost form no, and advising Luke. Luke, they 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 won because they got the plans of the Death Star and he popped the thing into the hole. Had nothing to do except that Darth, except that, except that Obi Wan said use the Force when he was flying through the thing. Like no, this is a he fantasy. Needed to, he needed that voice in his head. So. But this is a fantasy, is my point. It is a fantasy that it's better for somebody to be persecuted, and it helps him politically. There is very little evidence that that is the case. You can maybe say that Bill Clinton survived Monica Gate. Because at some point, the American public had had enough of the way that Ken Starr was operating. But that was nine months, and he was president, and they didn't, in the end, think that him having a thing with an intern 
was enough to have him and lying about office. it under oath the lying under i'm oath not even, defending yeah. clinton no, i no, think I know. he should have been yeah. impeached and convicted but the american public thought that it was enough that it there was something prurient and weird about what had happened and they turned on it in september of 1998 well and that that also remember what a nice time of stability and economic prosperity that was yeah. too like things were kind of humming along so there wasn't any you know, right now given the state of the world and per particularly the state of our economy and a lot of the the kind of anxieties people have about about the future the near future that i do think that makes um not for the MAGA base, but for this is what we saw with this last midterm election. A lot of independent voters are like, just get on with it. Just enough of the drama. And Biden's pretty good at, at playing into the no drama thing. Although I thought it was notable that last night after the Georgia runoff, he his statement to the press was, oh, Americans have once again rejected ultra MAGAism or whatever that stupid phrase that they were using for a while and then had disappeared. Well, I guess that's going to be the next two years we're going to hear a lot about ultra MAGAism again. But that was that actually struck me as being off tone. Like he could have taken the victory lap without inciting that again. But we're going to be, you know, hearing from, I think, Joe Biden a lot about ultra MAGAism in the next two years. I'm not sure how that plays because people really do want someone in government to actually just talk competently about how they're going to fix our problems. I don't know. I mean, not to right. sacrifice the extended Star Wars metaphor here. Um, Please, no, can't, go. <laughs> can't play because you're going not to a, guard not a big fan of the films. <gasps> Never. What? At any point. At what? any point what? in my life. I'm only talking about the first one. I'm not. I. I. I hold no brief. New hope is after okay. the Empire Strikes Back. None. Most I'm of them totally don't fight anything. Maybe play was. We can most, over, most overrated <laughs> institution. Extremely, ever. extraordinarily. Thank you, Abe. This is a the sound take. But Republicans seem much more comfortable to admit, let's take it back to Shakespeare, which is much more my bailiwick oh uh, republicans seem much more me. comfortable well <laughs> better than history uh i quoted shakespeare earlier you did. i quoted lear sure but Go the ahead. republicans seem like much a more nerd smackdown come on guys the death of a of, of caesar narrative that this is some sort of act of god which absolves everybody of complicity for supporting the guy in the first place but there are always going to be a mark anthony who wants to wave the bloody tunic and maybe not to replace Donald Trump on the primary ballot for Republicans for the presidential nomination, but farther down the ballot, the whole problem that we encountered in 2022 will probably be, will be similar in 2024 in the event that there's some sort of effort to usher him off the stage and absolve everybody of complicity and being a part of that sort of situation by saying, look, they're, they did it. Look, they did. I know they did it. And look what they did to this great man. Yet another, series of bad candidates rise to the fore and sacrifice another very good year for for Republican candidates. Unless Could there's happen. an active effort. If they try to say passively, this just sort of happened, and isn't it good that it just sort of happened? There needs to be something much more active and take control of the situation and say, yes, we're doing this. We're doing this to you. You deserve it. So that's, I think, my point, which is, is the Republican Party going to go into a 20-year swoon? as a result of what is going on here and the addiction to an approach to the problems of the United States and the nature of the difficulties of the United States that is defined by resentment, score settling, uh, however you want to, however you want to characterize it. And a belief that, um, that some of the basic agreements that we have had as Americans no longer obtain, like the idea that all things being equal, we are supposed to be supportive of uh, forces that want to see um, tyrants uh, removed or pushed out of the way or supplanted, and um, and uh, that we we support those who fight for freedom, which has now become a controversial opinion on the right. And if that remains a controversial opinion on the right, that will be one element of this, um, you know exile into the political wilderness for a major political party there are others you know like this weird decision to sort of advocate for socialist <laughs> economics on the part of some of our intellectual former friends congratulations that's really going to help that's really going to make you you know that's really going to provide a home for people, people who really believe that should go to the party that actually, you know, want actually is imposing more socialist economics on the country because that'll happen more readily than it will happen under a Republican. 
all of that stuff. Like, well, well, that's why we're at a, this is an interesting hinge moment. And in some ways, of course, 2020 could have been an interesting hinge moment. And Trump brilliantly interrupted it with the idea that the election had been stolen and, and then sent his minions on this two year, you know, quixotic windmill hunt, um, including, you know, several hundred people who are now going to go to jail for storming the Capitol on his behalf and Carrie Lake and Blake Masters and J.R. Majewski and Joe Kent and Don Bolduck and who else? I mean, um, I can't even think of who else. Like the, the, the guy numbers who or so. beat Pete Mayer in the primary that nobody. J.R. Majewski, right? Yeah. No, that was he. That was Ohio, and he was going. Oh, up oh, oh, oh uh, Gibbs, uh, Gibbs, John Gibbs, something like that. Who something knows? like that. Yeah. Uh, right. I mean, over and over and over again. So are they? You know that that is that is where that is where this all went to. And you know, I mean, I, we can't. You just don't know what's going to happen. History would tell you that this that there will be a correction, and the law of entropy might tell you that there isn't going to be a, a law of, that there isn't going to be a correction. Both parties on this new course; it's on a degraded course. It will degrade as time goes on, and it will not be able to escape it. I just, in the final analysis. There's, I keep saying there's all this talk about how Republican politicians have been cowardly. And I even said 10 minutes ago they were cowardly. Is it cowardly? Let me just conclude with this. Is it cowardly for Mitch McConnell when someone says, how do you feel about Trump saying we should terminate the Constitution? And he says, well, I don't see how a person can take the oath of office to, to preserve, to effect, uh, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. I don't know how he can say that. If he says the Constitution should be, uh, you know, rules should be terminated uh, in in this respect, is that enough? He clearly thinks that if he says something, that it'll boomerang, that he will strengthen. You know, he will he will impact. You know, he he will be the Darth Vader to Trump's Obi Wan Kenobi. Is that really right? I I, I don't know. Um, what did he say after the Fuentes dinner that it was highly unlikely that somebody with those views would become president of the United States? That wasn't very comforting. Highly unlikely doesn't preclude a lot of possibilities. <laughs> well, and it's as if he has no agency here, right? Like he, what he should have said is, you know, right. uh, like those of us observer. who believe this is wrong will make sure someone like this is never the president. Of the very United passive. States. Yeah. Everybody's, passive. everybody's, you know, Cassius. You need somebody who's much more active in this process. Uh, I mean, if, if everybody's Cassius, then then Caesar dies. So I don't I don't know that that's quite the you know Cassius is the <laughs> is the motive actor <laughs> in the assassination. Well, Caesar um, dies, but then you get a civil war. No, I mean, look, that's that's really. <clears throat> It is clear that McConnell, I mean, I don't know if you could say that McConnell had any choice, but McConnell has mishandled the last two years. I just don't know how you can look, see any different. He would have been Senate Majority Leader if he had had his way, if he had fought Trump to a stand, if he had rallied people, and if he had acceded to his impeachment. If he had not said, well, you know, we can't, we're not, we, we, we don't need to convict him, he's out of office. Well, congratulations, Mitch McConnell. Now it is possible <clears throat> that you will be 87 years old before you <laughs> before you see another uh, whenever I mean before you see another uh, Republican uh, as the majority leader and it's not going to be you and so all let's go to Shakespeare again all are punished if McConnell had spearheaded an effort to say that Trump lost the election he stormed the Capitol. What he did was unconscionable. No Republicans can support it. I will fight to the last moment to make sure that he never sees office again. Maybe it wouldn't have worked, but this didn't work either, did it? I mean, so congratulations. He chose the strategy of least resistance. And like the strategies of least resistance often show, <laughs> it's a terrible strategy. But he couldn't have known that until today. So there he is. And he should only enjoy his minority status yet again. Because now he's really in the minority. 
And now who knows what the Democrats are going to do with all of the Senate rules. Because I don't know if any of them is going to survive and that we're just going to go to a Senate that's a majoritarian body and and Mitch McConnell will end, end his days having once been the most powerful person in Washington and becoming one of the least powerful people in Washington. So if you if if you are if you want to know who is uh, who's um, incoming Senator uh, John Fetterman's chief of staff. Who? Adam Gentleson used ah, to be used to be yes. Harry Reid's right hand man and is yeah. probably the primary voice in America in favor of eliminating the legislative filibuster. That's correct. Of any sort. That's right. So Have fun. congratulations. Congratulations to everybody who was a chicken shit. And with that, we will be back tomorrow for Abe, Christina, Noam, John Bot Horitz. Keep the candle burning. <laughs>